0: Jesus name for the power of the gospel. Thank you for this good news that reconciles men to God from every tribe, tongue, nation and language. Thank you for uh, the work that you have done in this little fellowship for 15 years now in South Rome and in Afghanistan and in India, in Brazil and in Turkey God, the work that you have done in launching the gospel from Rome, Georgia to the nations. We thank you for this good news that isn't just isolated to Paul and Romans, but Genesis to Revelation. You have made the good news available to man from the very beginning. And Lord, we celebrate, we love it, we delight in it, and we thank you for it. Pray this morning that Holy Spirit, you would do the work of teaching and instructing through your word as we proclaim. And you would teach us, instruct us, grow us, convict us, move us in all the ways to grow us up into Christ who is our head. And we pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 5 verse 1 to 32. The outworking of the curse. The outworking of the curse and God's greater grace. And As we study through uh, the book of Genesis, you've got to remember the audience. The audience is important because the audience here is a post-Egypt group of people. Who are coming out of idolatry and slavery and all manner of bad things. And they are learning to deal with their circumstances as their theology grows. And Moses is teaching them and growing their theological learning and their application of those doctrinal truths as they come into the wilderness and prepare to meet the Lord at Sinai. And then their 40 years of wandering in the desert before they come into this land through which they are intended to launch this good news to the nations. And so, what we come to in Genesis five is Moses beginning to teach them about death and why people are dying and where that death comes from and the root of it, but also God's greater grace to give them a rescue. So, we're just going to start real quickly in the Romans. I'm sorry, uh, Genesis chapter five. There's a Romans five passage here, so we're going there in just a minute. Uh, Genesis chapter five, verse one to thirty-two. Not going to read all uh thirty-two verses right now. We're gonna come and read them as we walk through the text. But our first point that really comes out of the the totality of Genesis chapter five is this that the income of sin is truly death. Or as Paul will say in Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death. You gotta remember Paul's not making this stuff up, right? Paul is preaching from the text of his Bible. All New Testament authors are doing that. They're making nothing new up. Jesus isn't making stuff up and pulling it out of the air. He's preaching from the Bible. And we learn in Genesis chapter 5 that death came through Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. And God told them, the day you eat of it, you will die. Right? And so Paul, preaching from that text, says in Romans 6.23, The wages of sin, the income off of sin, you invest sin, you're going to get paid out in death. And so we see in Genesis chapter five this recurring theme. Genesis five four the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were eight hundred years and he had other sons and daughters thus all the days were Adam or thus all the days Adam lived were nine hundred thirty years and he died. Verse six seven and eight Seth thus all the days of Seth were nine hundred twelve years and he died. Enosh. Thus all the days of Enosh, verse 11, were 905 years, and he died. You get the pattern? Kenan, verse 14, thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Verse 15 through 17, Mahalel El. Now, you don't see that. I'm going to pronounce that uniquely because it's a Hebrew thing. You don't see it in English. And we'll come back to his name in a minute because it's beautiful. Okay. Mahalel El, right? Verse eleven, thus all the days of Mahalel El. Otherwise you're saying El. La, 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 la. And that's not how you pronounce it, right? Because i well, dyslexic guy has trouble with that, so just say it the way it is. Mahalel El means praise of God. Thus all the days of Mahalel El were eight hundred and ninety-five years, and he died. Verse 18 through 20. Jared, not the jewelry store. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died now we skip somebody we're gonna come back to him in just a moment verse 25 through 27 methuselah that's all the days of methuselah were 969 years and he died lamech verse 30 lamech after he had fathered noah he lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters that's all the days of lamech were 777 years and he died you get the theme the payout of sin is truly death, right? Sin and rebellion always over-promise and under We see that all the way back from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Sin always makes big promises it can never deliver on. The curse of sin created this culture of death that began to spread genetically into mankind and in all of created order. And not only does sin create Physical demise, but it created all of death's ugly and rotten ambassadors. Such as, Jesus will deal with some of these in the Sermon on the Mount. Unrighteous anger, right? Jesus said that's the root of murder, lust, broken families, retaliation. Hating your enemies rather than loving your enemies. The mistreatment of image bearers. This may be a little uncomfortable. The mistreatment of image bearers and lack of opportunity for them. Systemically. is death. And it creates death. The lack of preservation of life from womb to grave. Death. Right? I just want to make this statement. This little tiny aside. As evangelical Christians, we are very pale in our view of pro-life. For us, pro-life equals pro-life for babies in utero, and rightfully so. But it's also pro-life for the immigrant. It's pro-life for the elderly. It's pro-life for every image bearer, because we're going to learn in this passage here that man gets the glorious privilege and honor and responsibility of passing on the image of God in all of his progeny. Meaning that every one of you sitting in this room, white, black, red, blue, yellow, green, whatever country you're from, whatever nationality we are, we're image bearers of God. And therefore, what death kills, we are to be against because we are life. And so we see that the income, the payoff of sin really is death. And what's interesting for us is we often don't believe this. The reason we don't is because we keep. Sinning and doing it joyfully. Right? We often doubt that sin pays out death because we'll rebel against God. And if we don't die immediately because our concept of God bringing judgments, right? The lightning strike, boom! I didn't die. Just, things are going rather swimmingly for me. What we fail to realize is what Paul teaches from this passage in Romans 2 1 to 5. When he says, because of your heart and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. I think Adam and Eve probably heard, oh, we're going to die. And what did Satan say? You won't surely die. And what happens? They didn't physically die. But what happened? They inherited the gene of death. And what began to happen is the curse affected absolutely everything. And what we fail to think about is the reality is... The reality is that sin really pays out death, and it may not come right now, but there is a day that it's being stored up for, and that's the day of Jesus Christ, which is why Paul's going to go on in Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, and he's going to speak to this issue when he says that if you're not putting to death the deeds of the body, you don't belong to the Spirit. The evidence of you having the Spirit of God is you put this death stuff to death because it will kill you. He's preaching that to the church, by the way, not unbelievers. And so what we've got to remember is the wages of sin really is death. And Paul's making that clear for them. We learn here in chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, that mankind still has God's image. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So God makes man in his image. Verse 2, male and female, he created them. So male and female is the image of God and the basis of our equality before God. And he blessed them and named them man or mankind when he or when they were created. We see that mankind, even after the fall, still bears God's image. God made man in his image, male and female. He blessed them and gave them the privilege of multiplying. He gave them the name mankind. That's not chauvinistic. It's God's way of reminding us that we are from the dirt, he is the potter, and we are the clay, male and female together. That God is God and we are not. And that's a blessing. Because to rebel against that is to live according to the curse and death and to destroy what God made good. We recognize in this passage man's to represent God and all his purposes in that created order as image bearers. We see in this passage man in the line of Seth, that is man in the line of faith in Jesus Christ. Paul preaches again from this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 12 to 18 with this idea in the background that we are growing into the glory, the image of the glory of God. Why? Because we're image bearers being restored from the curse of the fall. Because we pass on the image of God. Another thing we see in our passage today is this is kind of big picture. We're going to dive in here in just a second, particularly on Enoch. So I need you to hang with me, okay? Okay. We see here something very important in Seth's line, which is Enoch. And these notes, by the way, are all there for you. The blog, MitchJolly.com. And you're going to see all these notes available to you. You can use your phone for that. Just silence it so it don't go off and mess with people, right? So Seth's line, Enoch, is the seventh from Adam. Okay? Track with me for a second. Lamech, Cain's line, is the seventh from Adam. And these two together model the contrast and will do so for the rest of history. And by the way, these two are the foundational pieces off of which Paul will teach the biblical doctrine of election. Whether that makes you uncomfortable or not, you got to deal with it. It's in the Bible, right? And so these two lines, these contrasting lines of faith in God and faith in oneself are the foundation of which Paul's going to preach the doctrine of election. Because these two, both the seventh from Adam, one the line of trusting in himself, one the line of trusting in God, will serve as an eternal and an earthly contrast of faith in the Lord and faith in oneself. And these two themes are going to play themselves out all through your Bible. You're going to see these divergent lines, and they're going to constantly clash with one another. You're going to see Esau, right? Right? Jacob and Esau clash, and it's going to come back to haunt them later. As Jacob's descendants are coming north, and Esau's descendants, Edom's not going to let them pass, and they're going to attack one another and fight. You're going to see walk with God. Enoch, which we'll look at in just a moment, contrasted with what Jesus said in John chapter 8 of those who he was contrasted with in John 8, who are sons of the devil. You're going to see the kingdom of heaven contrasted with the kingdom of this world. You're going to see life and multiplication contrasted with death and destruction. Righteousness and life contrasted with sin and death. Light versus darkness. All these biblical themes from these two lines. And they are our fight today. The New Testament calls us sons of light. Why? Because we're sons of Seth. We're sons of that line of trust in God and we've been taken from darkness to light. Remember Genesis chapter 1? The darkness is never called good. Light is called good. And so this contrast of light versus darkness because we are of the faith of Seth and the faith of Abraham. The faith through Jesus Christ to God the Father whereby we're brought into relationship with God. And we know light and we don't like darkness. We love life and we hate death. We multiply and build the kingdom of God versus destroying it. We're part of the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of this world. We walk with God, not with Satan. And this is our contrast. This is why Paul will tell the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6. We we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities, these rulers of darkness in heavenly places. And that's our war. We also see here in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 to 32, that God has woven His work into and through human history. So that all of God's story of overcoming sin and preserving and multiplying His people is told. What's beautiful about Genesis 5, now this, don't lose me here, okay? I don't mean this to be too scholarly type stuff, but it's important, right? This is called a telescoped genealogy. Meaning it, it extends further than what it appears in the text. I don't know if you notice this recurring uh, phrase. It said, he had other sons and daughters, Right? But you notice here, he doesn't list all of them. There's just ten. There's another genealogy very similar to it in Genesis 11, verse 10 to 32, because it's the line of Seth who gets introduced at the end of chapter 5. Ten names. And then we see another genealogy, one just like it, at the end of Ruth. Ruth 4, 18 to 22. Ten names. Now, the reason this is important is because the author is reminding you Of something very important. That God is in charge of preserving a godly line through human history. And that God has not left life up to you and I alone. But in fact God has been working on preserving the faithful. And building a line of faithful in human history. That He is going to and intends to preserve to rescue his fame and his glory from among the nations. Which is why he's going to call Abram in chapter 12, now to be a messenger to all those people he scattered through the earth. Which is our job, that's the great commission. Right? And so he's woven this in. And you even see little droppings of it in the text, like in like in verse 12 through 17, where we get introduced to the line of Seth. And there's this cat, Mahalel El. Not only is this the line of faith, but it's a line of faith that names itself after the praise of God. His name is Mahalel El, praise of God. So that we see that God is multiplying His people. He's preserving His people. And He raises up people even who carry His name and His fame. Just a little side note here. Christians, this is why we name our kids things that matter. In in, in pop culture, we just pick cool baby names. I want you to understand biblically, pick whatever name you want. I don't care, right? But at the end of the day, there's something about the line of faith that even in our naming, there's something about naming. God, God's the namer, right? But, and it shows He's, he's the ruler over it. He gave us the responsibility of as an image bearer, naming, meaning we have responsibility over So we name our kids, we're saying something about trust in the Lord. We're saying something about the fact that we bear the image of God and we have a responsibility to proclaim His fame In the world. And one of the ways we do that is we name our kids names that point to Jesus. We put some thought into it. And even here in the line of Seth, there's good old Mahalel El. The praise of God. We see that God raises up just the right people at just the right time. I think it's pretty important, particularly launching into chapter 6 here, that we get introduced to old Noah, right? God didn't leave that up to chance. Through this line of faith, He gave us Noah. Then He gave us Shem. Then He gave us... Abraham. He gave us Isaac. He gave us Jacob, right? And then he gave us this beautiful line because that's what God does. We learn here that the faithful can walk with God by faith and know him intimately as friends. And we learn that history belongs to God and the ends never in question. Right? God did not leave your salvation and mine up to chance. He's been constructing this family of faith from the beginning so that through faith in Christ all the way from Genesis 1 would be proclaimed from the text. This is why Jesus taught the way he taught and said the things he said. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he preached to them everything concerning himself. Oh, to have been in that Bible study. All right. We learn here, and this is our final point, but I've got lots of applications. So hang tight. And I have 16 minutes and 48 seconds to give them to you. We learn in this passage that God's now free gift, though, is eternal life and walking with God just like Enoch did. You see, when Paul told us in Romans 6, 23, the wage of sin is death, you notice there's more to that passage. But the free gift of God is eternal life with Jesus Christ, our Lord. What did Jesus say eternal life was? This is a real real rabbit trail, real rabbit traily real quick. John 17, 1 to 3, Jesus defined for us eternal life. There's a component of that is living forever, yes. But eternal life is deeper than just living forever. Everybody's going to live forever. The question is your zip code. Jesus said in verse 3 of John 17, and this is eternal life. Oh, tune in. He just about to tell me what this is. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Jesus said eternal life is to know God, to know Him well, to know Him intimately, to know Him. This language of know God is to know Him well, to be acquainted with Him. We learn in this passage about death. We learn about sin. We learn that God's sovereign over history and preserving a faithful line. But we're taught here in the second half of Romans 6.23 that the free gift of God is this glorious eternal life where we get to walk with God. This is why the New Testament uses this language about walking. And I don't know if you've noticed in Christian subculture, we say our walk, right? We say my walk, your walk, right? You ever noticed that? You wonder where that came from? Right here. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. This is the only person in the passage that speaks like this. He walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. And he was not. For God took him. Now we're going to focus on that. But the person who's familiar with a few more books post-Genesis... You may be reminded of this cat named Elijah. Who was a prophet of the Lord. And he pleased God. He was faithful to the Lord. And at the appointed time, the Lord took him. He didn't have to taste death. And his servant Elisha, who would succeed him, was walking along with him. And he saw him go up in the whirlwind into heaven for the Lord took him. He wasn't the first. There was Enoch. And Enoch, we see here, walked with God. And you also should notice that little theme... From Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Because what happened in the garden prior to the rebellion. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They walked face to face. They had relationship. They were friends. We see amidst all this death and destruction. Because the wages of sin is death. The payout of sin is death. But we see also here that God has built in this beautiful reminder. That the free gift of God is this eternal life. Of knowing God and walking with Him face to face. Now, what's beautiful is the New Testament doesn't leave us without any information about Enoch. As a matter of fact, there are two passages I want to quickly hit that the New Testament gives us about Enoch that teaches us how to walk with God. The first one is Hebrews 11, 5. So ask this question. Here's where our application is going to come. Ready? This is where we're going to really kind of get down into the mud and start slinging this stuff out. How do we walk with God amidst this... This work of the curse where the wages of sin is death. And now in Christ I have life, I have eternal life. I can know God. I can walk with God. I can I can speak with God. He's my friend. I'm his friend. How do we do this? Well, the New Testament gives us a couple of hints. The first one's Hebrews eleven, five. It says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. And then Jude 14 and 15. Jude's just one chapter. That's why it's like just verses. Jude 14 and 15 says this, Enoch prophesied against the way of false teaching about God. Right? This is my, These are my words and I'm going to read it for you. Enoch prophesied against the way of false teaching about God and death and unbelief. And here's what Jude says. It was also about these, speaking of those false teachers and... He's going to call them some really not nice names. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds and ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I'm going to give you some points here that's going to help you work this out. and There's 17 of them. And we're going to go fast. You ready? The first two have to do with these two passages. The rest come from a guy named Marcus Dodds and his commentary on the book of Genesis. I've sort of reworded them to help you grasp what he's talking about in regard to walking with God. But let's start with the first two that come from Hebrews and then Jude. How do we walk with God How do we walk by faith in Jesus Christ? How do we live this life out, this life of faith, this life that comes from the line of Seth, that God has preserved for us through this gospel of Jesus Christ? Number one, we are God's friend and He is ours through faith in the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. We learn here in Hebrews 11.5, Enoch believed. He trusted in the Lord. And as a result, he pleased God. So how do you walk with God? You start by trusting in Jesus Christ. You start by placing all of your hope in Christ. Who is God's purpose and plan. The second person of the Trinity. The eternal God who came and took our sin and died in our place for our sin. Was buried and rose to complete our salvation. So that by faith in Him we not only are rescued from sin but we become God's friends. Notice John 15:15. 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants. This is Jesus speaking to his 12 right before he is arrested. For servant, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Quoting 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, James 2, 23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. That privilege doesn't just belong to Enoch and Abraham, it belongs to you and me in Christ. That if we come by faith to Jesus Christ and trust in Him, we're not servants, we're friends of God. So how do you start walking with God? You know Him by faith in Christ. Number two, we speak the word of the Lord in prophetic truth. We speak the word of the Lord in prophetic truth. Notice what Enoch did according to Jude 14 and 15. It wasn't just all love and flowers. There's an edge to this message. The gospel carries with it an edge. And that edge is because of the curse, there is darkness. And that darkness manifests itself in ways. And notice, in these New Testament authors, they're not preaching to unbelievers. They're preaching to the church. That's important. Which is why when we come in here we open the Scriptures, there's always an edge to it because it speaks to hidden components of world systemic darkness and lies that inhabit our thinking. And so Jude spoke the prophetic word of the Lord and applied it to those who called the name of God but didn't live it out. Paul will tell us in the book of 2 Corinthians 5.20, we're ambassadors of God. And therefore, as ambassadors, we carry the responsibility, if we're friends with God, to speak on behalf of God to the things God speaks to. And by the way, J.I. Packer will say this in his classic work, Knowing God. You know you're growing in your faith. You know you're growing up into the God of the Bible when you hate what He hates and you love what He loves. So we're to speak. To things that are right. And things that are wrong. Not just because the world wants you to like it. Or love it or hate it. But because God loves it or God hates it. Because we're his ambassadors. And we better not get that wrong. So just stop here and say this to you. Please. If you're a member of Three Rivers Church. Never align the kingdom of God politically. With any party than Jesus Christ. The left will hate you. And the right will hate you. But your job is to be loved by God and obey Jesus Christ. And you apply life, not darkness. And it's never fiscally responsible to obey Jesus. It's fiscally irresponsible to disobey God. Because who's the author and who gives you what you have? Jesus does. Not the tax man. So at the end of the day, dear Christian, we have a responsibility to speak the word of the Lord Down into the fabric of everything. That the gospel applies not just to me getting into heaven, but how I vote and how I live today. Number three, how do we walk with God? By faith in Christ, by being His ambassadors. Number three, we enjoy His company. (laughs) We enjoy His company. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You're God's friend and you walk with the Lord when you enjoy His company. Do you enjoy His company? Do you know Him enough to enjoy Him? Is He a downer to you? If He's a downer to you, you don't know Him. Because we learn in the Word that He makes known to me the path of life, not darkness. And in His presence there's fullness of joy. In His right hand are pleasures to be had. So you walk with God when you enjoy His company. How would you know you enjoy His company? You seek Him out. It's not an afterthought. It's the forethought. I say this all the time to people who don't want to do and don't want to obey and don't want to follow the Lord. You do what you want to do. And if you want it bad enough, you'll pull it off. If you want Jesus bad enough, you'll find time for His Word. You'll find time for closet prayer. You'll find time to fellowship with Him because it's a joy. And you do what you want to do. You're a friend of God, you enjoy His company. Number four, we're a friend of God when we go in the same direction God is going. I don't have time to read all of this, but Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, using this language, he urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Meaning, your walk, your walking with God should look like, be worthy of your calling. And their calling is to Christ. Meaning, I'm walking with Christ. I'm going where He's going. I'm doing what He's doing. So, we walk with God when we go in His direction. And Paul doesn't leave it to chance. He says, with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Number five. Number five. We walk with God and we have no desire for anything but what lies in God's path. We walk with God when we have no desire for anything but what lies in His path. Quoting Hosea 6.6, 6, the Lord preaches to us in Matthew 9.13, Go and learn what this means. And Jesus preaching from the text, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Jesus had to tell the religious elite, You need to go learn what your Bible says. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We desire nothing but what lies in God's path. Let me ask you this question. Do your systems of operation conflict with the way God does things? If so, we're not walking as friends with God, but contrary. But man, we walk with God when we desire what lies in His path. Number six... We have God in all our thoughts because He's naturally suggested to us by all we think of. That's beautiful. We we have God in our thoughts because He is naturally, and I love that that Dodge used that language, naturally. And his whole idea is that because you've been changed, your nature has shifted. And so it's now natural for you to have Him in all your thoughts. He just pervades everything you're about. And everything you look at, you see Him. You walk with God when He naturally is suggested by everything we think of. Remember when you met that person you are going to marry? Remember that, married folk? And it's like everywhere you looked at the sun and there was their face. (laughs) You, you, You were eating food and you thought of them. Had nothing to do with them, but they're just in everything. Every nook and cranny of your psyche, they're there. Because you're in love. This this is what Dodds has in mind when he says we walk with God when He's naturally suggested by everything we think of. Because He loves us, we love Him, we're face to face. And so everything I do, He's my first consideration. Number seven, when some change in our life's direction is thought of, we first of all seek to determine how the change will affect our connection with the Lord. We don't just shift paths because. We shift paths because we think through, will this shift how I think of the Lord? Will this affect my walking with Him? We don't think first, will will this affect my station in life? We think... How will this affect my walk with Jesus? Number eight, we can walk with God and we recognize we do when we sin, we can't rest until we've taken our place at God's side and walk with Him again. We, it just won't leave us alone. It messes everything up, can't eat, can't think, even can't breathe good. The chest is tight. Students, it's called a conscience. And it's not separated from the Holy Spirit. God made you with one. As a matter of fact, Paul's going to talk about the ungodly searing it as with the hot iron. That conscience is the work of the Spirit of God in you to remind you He's speaking to you in your conscience. See, I don't hear God speak. When your conscience bother you, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Know that. Know that. And God's good. He gave one to everybody. It's how he restrains evil, but particularly especially to those who walk with Christ and have the Holy Spirit, when that conscience is going off and scripture's coming to mind, it's Holy Spirit going, Hey! Don't or yes, do. When we sin, we can't rest because he's bothering us. The hound of heaven is seeking you out. Isaiah 59, 1-2, to 2, Behold, the Lord's hand isn't shortened, that it cannot save, or His ear dull, that it can't hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so He does not hear. Which is why Peter will say in 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Speaking to Christians, if you think He's not hearing, it might be, because... You aren't walking with them because there's sin, and maybe your conscience is a little seared. You've become used to that sin, and that sin's culturally acceptable or it's well hidden. We walk with God. There's a sense "I, I, I can't rest. He won't leave me alone. That's good. Oh, it's a gracious gift. Number nine. We walk with God when we make a persistent effort to hold all of life open to God's inspection and conformity to His will. We walk with God when all of life is open and in conformity to Him. This, this is where small group, this is where life inside a local church and accountability matters. Because in so doing and laying our lives transparently before other people, we hold ourselves up to God's scrutiny. We make that persistent effort. Number ten, we are ready to give up what we find causes misunderstanding between us and God. Do you know what causes misunderstanding between you and the Lord? Are you willing to give it up? Number eleven, we have a feeling of loneliness if we don't make our best effort at maintaining fellowship with God. You can tell, you can tell, that internal, you feel lonely. People are around and you're still lonely. Why? Because our great companion is the Lord Jesus, the friend of sinners. Number 12, we have a cold and desolate feeling when we become conscious of doing something that displeases Him. This is a beautiful thing. There's often a difference between sin and just outright rebellion against God and that little... And now I, I hate to introduce this maybe, but this is just me personally here. That little gray area that I've turned justified it a little bit. And maybe I've made it a little ambiguous and maybe... The scripture's clear and I just don't want to read that or pay attention to that. And so we've made this perhaps little gray area and we get this sense of a cold, desolate feeling because we become conscious that that's not outright rebellion, but you know your intent. And he's good to point it out. By the way, th- th- this is good. That means you belong to him. There's a relationship, right? Number 13, we instinctively avoid subjects. Which we know will affect the feelings of our friend. We avoid the things that affect God's emotive capacity. There are things that make God angry. And we avoid those things. We run to the things that make Him happy. Number 14, we open to Him all our purposes and tactics. What we're trying to do and how we're trying to go about it. Number 15, we seek His judgment. On his idea of happiness. Not my own. Lord will this make you happy? And Lord ultimately. Will it make me happy? Will you teach me? Will you show me? And then this is why the psalmist tells us to wait on the Lord. You wait until he answers. It's been 10 years. Keep waiting. I love how David does this. Saul's been removed as king. And David refuses to disobey the scripture. (laughs) He doesn't. Assume the throne with his own power. He waits for the Lord to finish it off. As a matter of fact, David defends Saul. David's the rightful king. Number 16, we make it our aim to seek the life of blessing and the life of blessing for every image bearer on the planet because Jesus does. We walk with God when we seek life and blessing of every image bearer on the face of the planet. Because Jesus does. This is what in systematic theology we call special grace and common grace. Because God shows common grace to all mankind, we must too. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44-45, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For, here's the purpose, for He makes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So the basis of us loving our enemies is because God does. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in verse 45, you're to do this so that your sons are your Father in heaven. If you don't do that, you don't belong to the Father. Because God blesses every image bearer. Common, common, are special with this gospel message for salvation. So we are too, as well. This is why we're to be the most loving people on the face of the planet. No excuse for anything we do. Not putting forth the absolute, extreme, and extravagant love of God. Number seventeen. We walk with God in corporate worship. You see this. We just studied through worship as a series not too long ago. We walk with God. We do it in corporate worship. Our worship's never just to be isolated. To our alone times. But it is to come and happen inside the corporate body. Where we sing to the Lord in response to Him revealing Himself. And so three of us, I want to invite you today. If you're walking with the Lord, sing to Him. No more appropriate thing for you to do right now than sing to Him. Because if you're in Christ, He's your friend. And the hosts of heaven are already worshiping. And so what we're going to do is join them in that activity. So if you're a friend with God, we want to invite you in just a moment to sing with us. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you will cause your people to sing because we walk with you. Not because it's just what we do now and it's the next thing on the order of service or it's just our habit. But we ask that you, by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in us, bring us to song because you're our friend and we're your friend. And you've saved us and brought us near and given us your spirit, given us your word, given us each other. And there's so many things to give thanks. So we want to sing to you. So, Lord, we pray that you would bring that about, generate that in us right now. God, I pray that you'd take this glorious good news of Jesus and his work to rescue us from death and instruct us and perhaps call some to life. For those of us maybe wandering around in sin, we pray that you will Help us to walk in your way, in the way of light and not darkness, to repent. So, Lord, accomplish all of your purpose now in your people in this time. Make us sensitive to your spirit and obedient to your leadership.